Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. <clears throat> Three, two, one. Coming up on the payoff, Jerry Cooney was 28-3 and three as a heavyweight fighter and spent time ranked number one in the world. But his biggest victory has come over alcohol, a battle which he says he still fights every day in the rooms of recovery, helping himself and others. This podcast is awesome. We cover it all, and he is like a real unique guy. We talk about things like the hype surrounding his title fight against Larry Holmes. There were actually snipers on the roof of Caesar's Palace. More on that. But also how addiction hampered his chances against Michael Spinks. He also fought sober against George Foreman before retiring. He's got a book out, and you can hear him on Sirius Radio Channel 156. But first, a heavyweight in his own right, Kevin Souza. Stand by the ocean floor. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, and Jerry. Yeah. All right, there you are, man. I appreciate it, dude. No problem. Um, yeah, you're talking to me, and then uh, Mike is the producer. Uh, he's on with us, too. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, and, and dude, I really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Now, we got a big thunderstorm here, so I hope it doesn't get fucked up. No, nah, it's okay. We, we've had huge storms here in Texas. I mean, it's rock and roll out there today. <laughs> are you in uh, East Hampton? No, no, I'm in New Jersey. I live in New Jersey. Oh, what part of Jersey? Westfield. Central Jersey. Okay. By the way, you called me out the other day. Remember when I was calling you? And you were like, hey, man, you've been in, you've been in meetings? And I hadn't been to a meeting in like a week. Because I was calling you. You guys I was, are kidding me. <laughs> I was going about 100 miles per hour. I could hear that dry drone shit in your voice, bro. You could, right? No, nah, you know, I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> All right, so the first thing I want to ask you is, what, what's your sobriety date? When do we start? You, you didn't start yet, right? We can start right now. We're going to start right now. You ready? All right, yeah, let's go. Because I'll tape an intro about Gentleman Jerry okay. Cooney and, and, and you yeah. know, your history and stuff. So what, what's your sobriety date? My sobriety date is April 21st, 1988. So that's the day you got sober. I, I want to backtrack a little bit. So what are we at now, 33 years? 33 years. It was past April. Okay. 33 years. And you grew up in Long Island, an Irish Catholic family. What was it like growing up in in that family? And was there was there alcoholism around you or was there alcoholism in your family? Well, yeah, my father was, was a major, big deal alcoholic, untreated. And we took the brunt of that because he grew up in, in Newfoundland, he's from St. John, up in Canada. And he grew up with five or six brothers and sisters. And he gets married. He leaves Canada up there at uh, 17, comes down here. He's rough, has six children of his own. And he's a steel construction worker. And back in the days, he didn't make all that much money. So we had six kids trying to feed our way to get through. And he was angry, drunk, and he beat us. And uh, 
told us a lot of negative things. You're no good. You're a failure. You're never going to amount to anything. Same thing his father told him. Unfortunately, he didn't get any help, so he just passed the same stuff on. You know what I mean? When's, when's the first time you drank, Jerry? Listen, when, when I was 12, I had a bottle of Boone's Palm Apple Wine by myself, and I got so sick, but I made it home. And I thought to myself that night, I'm never going to do this again. The next morning, I completely forgot about getting so drunk. I remembered when that big hole in my chest was filled in. And I fit in. I was comfortable. I was funny. I could talk to the girls. And I thought to myself that night at 12 years old, where has this been all my life? Yeah, Crazy, right? Yeah, well, okay, it, it fills, like you mentioned it, you, you fill that hole in your soul. Was it a time when, when you did it from that point forward, were you like, you know, are always drinking or were you kind of the guy who was talking about drinking? I always say, once I had my first drink, every move after that, unbeknownst to me, was kind of, okay, how am I getting my next drink? Even as a kid. Well, I have a great, I have a great son who's 23 right now, and he, while he was at Lehigh University going to school for an engineering, he got drunk. They drank grain alcohol. He had to go to the hospital. I was praying that he did not have the experience that I had. And that, wow, this is the greatest thing in the world. And, oh, wow, this is unbelievable. What happened to me when I was 12? I was praying. It didn't happen to him, and it didn't. He's a great kid. He graduated. He's an engineer now. Lehigh's uh, a hell of a so, school. Oh, it's a great school. And he loved every minute of it. And unfortunately, you know, the last year they were in the pandemic, so he didn't get to experience a lot of stuff with his friends that he wanted to. He wanted to go to Europe and spend a month over there. And, you know, you, you can't, you couldn't go. Yeah. So he doesn't have the family disease? No. No. But, you know, you. I pray he doesn't get it. I pray he doesn't get it either. Yeah. Your, your, your brother struggled with addiction too. Yeah, yeah, my whole family. Uh, you know, obviously my my three brothers and my sister, my sisters. I mean, you know, my sister passed away about two years ago. She was bipolar, schizophrenic, and she said the only time she felt comfortable was when she was with a crack pipe. So that's so sad. But we buried her, and you know, I went out and FaceTimed the whole family. She was in a coma in the hospital. And uh, she passed. And so, you know, that happens. And uh, it was a hard time. But right now, you know, she's with God, in my opinion. And she's at peace. And she feels great. Now, back, back to, you know, your, your development. When, when you were in high school, you know, you start drinking when you're 12. Are you drinking a lot? It's weekends, you know. You know, Friday, Saturday nights, drinking beers. That was really what we did back then. You know what I mean? When do you start boxing? I start boxing at 15 and a half, and it really turned my life around because I didn't find this out till way later. But when I went into the ring, I'll tell you a story. I was 15 and a half. I, my brother left the house when he was 15. He's at the gym training, so I got to go down and see him. And so we uh, get to, I get to watch my brother. I loved him so much, and and one day I'm hitting a heavy bag, out of heavy bag in the basement. So I said, let me go down and put the gloves on. And uh, I'm hitting the bag good. I go to the gym, meet him. I say, can I box him? And they put me in with this guy 
who was boxing for six years, he smacked me all around, right? Yeah. So I threw the gloves off. I said, forget it, it's not for me. But I went home at 15 and a half, and I went down in the basement again, and I was hitting the bed, expecting the guy to come on me, right? Because that's what happened. So I went back to the gym three days later, and I asked him I box that kid, and he could not do that to me again. So six months later, I entered into the New York State Golden Glove Championships, and I made it to the finals. Uh, I was, uh, it was the largest tournament in the United States. I had seven fights. I had five knockouts. And, uh, you know, I was fighting. If I won, Herman Sporting Goods was going to give me a free heavy bag. And I knocked the guy out, and I won the middleweight championship. And uh, I drank after every fight one night. And then I would train all week. And, you know, and... Uh, what I was to find out is boxing helped me to express how angry I was from all the abuse I took from home. And then they put my picture, seemed like every day after the fight, I'd be at the newspaper stand and my picture was on the back page of the Daily News. Cooney knocks out this guy, Cooney knocks out that guy. So what it was is boxing helped me to express my anger and then they put my picture in the paper so it made me somebody. And that's how I became a fighter. And also, I watched Ollie Frazier at a young age, and I thought, wow, this is magical. I saw Clyde Frazier and Frank Sinatra and Joe DiMaggio at the Garden, and it was like, wow. I was like, oh, man. Between that and me feeling like somebody, that's how I, it was born that I'd become a fighter. When you walk into the ring to fight Larry Holmes at Caesars Palace in 1982, do you get that, and you're thinking back to man, you know, I, I, I watched Ali Frazier, and, and, and here I am. I mean, that's got to be an incredible feeling. No, but what, what happens, I could tell you the most that happens. Obviously, it's a big night. I'm in with a great heavyweight champion of the world. And here's the magic of it. When you're in your dressing room, and you're warming up, and there's a knock on the door, and the guy opens the door and says, Cooney, you're next. Your life kind of passes before you, and you're figuring this and figuring that. And you get halfway down the, the corridor to where the fans are, and you can hear the roar of the crowd. And that's the moment when you become magical. You become alive. You just can't wait for that bell to ring so you can fight. And that's what the experience was to me that night. And, you know, uh, it was a great night. It was 115 degrees at night at Caesars Palace parking lot where they built the 32 or 35,000 stadium. And it was unbelievable. What a night. Boxing, as your career develops, keeps, keeps you out of trouble. But how, does you, how is your drinking developing as your career is? Well, you know, obviously I didn't really have a problem. Looking back on it now, the night that I fought um, Kenny Norton in Madison Square Garden, and I knocked him out in 54 seconds of the first round, that was, little did I know, that was the night my career ended because that night I started drinking a bottle of scotch a day. And I don't know if it was because I felt I deserved it or I felt from being told I'm no good, I'm not going to amount to anything, that I used it as a crutch to help me say, well, if I do lose to Holmes, it wasn't me, it was the scotch. It's crazy. It's like the early self-sabotage. It's as crazy as that sounds. That's what happened. And 13 months later, I fight Holmes, 
and I was in the fight. We had a, I went 13 rounds. I can only imagine had I not drank and not partied around and took care of myself, what could have happened? But then again, this conversation wouldn't be going on with you. Yeah. Because I don't know if I'd even be here by now. Did you, were, were drugs a part of your story? Well, it's a little bit. Not really. I was a drinker, alcoholic, and, uh, um, uh, it took me out of the pain. It took me away from, you know, once I had a couple of drinks, I was cool. And it became my friend at 12, and I was good at it. In between, you know, Ken Nor- the Ken Norton fight and the Larry Holmes fight, I mean, your, your life is, is on the fast track. It was crazy. Uh, yeah. It was crazy. What is I that was like? I was traveling. Tra- travel. I was at Howard Costello. I was traveling around the world. I remember being in Boston, and I Boston's a big Irish community, and I it was like uh, on a tour for the home fight, and I wasn't five or ten feet inside Boston Gardens when the whole, Boston Gardens were playing again. Celtics were playing with someone I'm not sure who, and the whole arena stood up and cheered me for about ten minutes. <laughs> and I got to tell you how great that felt, right? But when I turned around and walked 10 feet out the door, I felt like nothing. I felt like I didn't deserve this. They, that wasn't real. They don't really care about me. That's what dysfunction gives you, athletes, people in general. That's what you get. And unfortunately, I didn't have someone to grab me by the arm and say, hey, Cooney, listen, this is really important. Now let's pay attention. I was on my own since I was 17. So my kids, I was 17. I was living in a room for $10 a week. That's what I, happened to me. Boxing was my way out. And so you're getting ready for the Holmes fight. And what's, are, is it still, you're still just, you know, are you, are you drinking to fill the hole in your soul? Or are you drinking in a sense where it's kind of part of the night? I'm, 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 listen, I got four or five or six big spawn partners from around the country looking to kick my ass. So I'm drinking and partying, but not crazy. Yeah. And then the fight got postponed. Uh, I told my uh, rotator cuff and my shoulder got postponed. You know, a couple of couple of burps in the road. I didn't fight for 13 months. I, my last fight was Norton. I should have had two or three fights in between Norton and Holmes. That never happened. Was that like a, was that like a Don King thing? Just kind of holding holding everybody. Well, yeah, Don King owned everybody, so I wasn't signed with him, so he didn't want me to gain any experience. So if I beat Holmes, he's out of the picture. You understand? So he kind of shuts everybody down while you're, you know, yeah. in between well, this. No, two. Back in those days, that, that, and also my management, they wanted the big payday too. So I'm, I'm unbeknownst to this. This is all going on. I'm just a kid. I, I'm 24 years old. I'm training for the biggest fight of my life. I think about my son right now is 23. When I was 23, I fought Norton in the garden, knocked him out in one round. So, you know, I see my kid. He seems like a young kid now. That was me fighting Norton. And I didn't have the experience he had. I grew up in a sheltered life. So, but anyway, whatever it is, I did what I did, and I made peace with it. And you keep asking me questions because I'm not talking no more. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so you, you're getting ready to fight Holmes and there's so much going on around the fight. You're on the cover of uh, time magazine. You're on the cover of sports yeah. illustrated. 
You hate the, uh, the they're throwing around the great white hype. That's got to be driving you crazy. Well, you know, it's just the world is crazy at that time. And, you know, obviously Holmes is mad at me because I was getting all this attention. He was a longtime champion, and he was pissed off he never got it. And he felt that way when, Holmes, when Ali was alive. He grew up with Holmes, with Ali, and he understood it. So he felt when he became a champ, he was going to get all that. And all of a sudden, then I came in the picture, and he was angry with me. And I understand it. But that wasn't coming from me. Just like my brothers and sisters, they grew up in a dysfunctional family, and then all they hear out is, how's Jerry? How's Jerry? How's Jerry? And they say, who cares about Jerry? What about me? And that's what I had, I had a couple of two on the side. And, you know, my mother was, my father passed in 76, and I'm dealing with a bunch load of family that I am have to take care of some way. I got to make it right. And for my mother, getting the pressure for my mother. And so my life was crazy. You said even when, when, you, when your father did pass away, I read that you were kind of a mentor told you, hey, you need to spend some time with, with, with your mom. Did you feel like you grew, even though we're drinking during times like that, did you feel like you were able to grow as a man through that experience? Listen, I did whatever I, I you know, I, I survived. I did what I could. And I, unfortunately, that was circling around money. I had the money so I could fix everybody's problems. I could put the, 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 the cork in the, in, in, the, in the dam. And it was only, and the problem with this, that I had to pick myself off the ground to get sober, to get straightened out, to get kept caught up in my life. And I thought if I could pick them up, then they could get it, then I could get on my life. But unfortunately, in time, we find out that we have to pick ourselves up. But I didn't get it back then. I just want to fix it and get on with my life. You know what I'm saying? Your life includes, you know, that Holmes fight you talked about at Caesar's Palace. You go 13 rounds. There's, there's, a, there's a phone in your dressing room. And if, if anybody wants to get background on this, it's unbelievable. The um, Legendary Nights, you can find it on YouTube, the HBO uh, show, really breaks down this fight. And it's, it's really awesome. And it talks about the fact that there was a phone for, for Ronald Reagan to call you if you were supposed to win, and, and, and that, if you won, and that, that pissed Holmes off, and, th- and that adds to the I'm drama. I'm sure, I'm sure, but you know, I was like, uh, I was the underdog, I was the Rocky in the film, you know, I mean, I, I was the Rocky in that fight, you know, I was the guy that didn't have the experience, but I was, you know, I made it up there by knocking out these guys, and I was getting the shot, so, you know, everybody, I, to this day, love the Rocky story. I, 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 I'm watching fights. I'm I'm rooting on the on the, on the underdog. You know, listen, fighters. People grow up in life, and they have to work two jobs. They got a family. They got no time to get home. Not making enough money. They come home and they watch the Jerry Cooney fight at that time, who's like a, a, you know, grew up in a rough, tough household, struggled all my life. They're rooting for me because if I win. They kind of win that weekend, yeah. you understand? Sure. But, you know, that's the way it is. And that's a great story. But looking back now, for me, Holmes also was that guy. Yeah. Holmes didn't get, he didn't get the golden spoon. He had to fight his way all the way up to the top. You know, Holmes never drank, never smoked, never took any drugs during his career. I was drinking at 12. Could you imagine 
if I would have had someone that could take me by the arm and take care of me, what could have happened? Who knows, right? But I probably wouldn't be here right now. I could be dead. So I'm here. I have a great life. I've worked the steps in the program. I've learned about my faults. I clean them up. I talk to other people. I go to meetings. I help other people. And I grow. And I'm at peace. Most of the time. I still got this thing that's called like the Itty Shitty Committee inside my head that wakes up about 10 minutes before me. Sometimes it affects me. You know, sometimes I want to go to bed and I want to fight with my wife. And when I do, I got to fight for two weeks. If, if I don't and I shut up and I go to sleep and I wake up, I feel different. That's recovery. That's what I want in my life to be. And at the end of the story, we pass. So I don't want to work this 30%. I don't want to work at 50%. I'm, I'm, I have this illness. I want it to subside. I want to live and feel and enjoy and help and, and, and be free as much as I can while I'm here. You talked about part of the addiction or the disease. You said if you had won the Holmes fight, you may, you may have died because of the way your life was going at the time. I was on the fast track. Everybody, if I won the fight, the, the owner of Caesar's Tosh was flying me by their jet to, you know, I'm sure I was going to Disney too. I'm going to Disney. <laughs> so you understand, like, it's just a game. It's, and, you know, I believe in my God and I believe that God looked out for me. I didn't, I didn't have the tools to prepare me for what was going on. And, and that being said, I did great. I had a, I have a great life today. I was ranked number one in the world. I met everybody I ever wanted to meet one night at a party in Las Vegas. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali, Frank Sinatra, Bob Hope, Chevy, everybody you can imagine. They were at a party for myself and Larry Holmes. So I had a dream life. No, I didn't. I would have loved to win the championship. But, you know, later on you find out that if I don't check the tires in my car, if I don't change the radiator fluid, if I don't change the oil, and if I don't lose the tires, it's going to break down. And you said you kind of broke down the, the Spinks fight. The Michael Spinks fight was a kind of a defining moment. You said you kind of went into the fight kind of sick just because, just you you know, we're sick. I was so sick that night. And the fight was on. The fight was off. The fight was on. The fight was off. You're supposed to go to camp for six weeks and go and fight. I was in camp for two and a half years. I never, I, I never believed the fight was taking place. I eat Michael Spinks up on any day if I'm healthy. I eat him alive. I was sick. And what? So you, was, and you, what was was there a lot of drinking heading up to that fight? Just because? Yes. 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 I was sick. I was sick and suffering. And after that fight, I went out to my my house in East Hampton and I drank a little bit longer. And then one day I woke up at 20 minutes to 11 and I thought to myself, what happened to you, Jerry Cooney? And I quit that day. And I had like this, you know, wow. And the next day, I woke up at 20 minutes to 11 again. Hung over. 
and I cried out to God, and I said, God, please, you got to help me. And the desire to drink went away. And I turned on the television, and there was an alcohol awareness week in the Hamptons that week. And George Benedict, who has a seafield center, very famous guy, helped so many people out, was talking. George Benedict. And I remembered that, and I remembered that number, and I called it, and he said, come on down, drive down here. I'll have a spot open for you in the back, and come on, and we'll sit down and talk. And I went down there, he showed me around the place and told me, listen, Jerry, you don't have to stay here. I said, thank you, God. You know, you know, you wanted to sleep in a room with five or six other guys. And I wasn't going to go for that. He said, you go out, you go to meetings. And if you can't make it, he said, I always have a room for you. And I said, thank you, George. And I, he took me to meetings and I went to meetings and I, I became Mr. AA right away. I was working out. I was riding the bikes to the meeting. I was exercising. I was eating right. And it wasn't the last time I drank because three months into that, that sobriety, I met some girl who told me, you better be careful. You're going to use again. And I said, are you out of your mind? And I went back out again, almost to the date. And I met some girl. It must have been right when the alcohol was wearing out of my system. And I felt so raw that I picked up. I started going late to the meetings and leaving early. And I picked up for two months, went out again. And went on a run, and two months into that run, I'm driving, my buddies drive me to my office. I see a pancake house on the side of the road. I tell my friend, let's go have breakfast. I pull into the pancake house. My friend Jack Brunette in the office there, he said, he was a bodyguard of mine when I was fighting homes and back in my heyday. And he said, Jerry, sit down with me. He said, this is a tough man. He used to collect money. He was a, you know, he was a, he ran a strip joint, and he said to me, Jerry, today I had three years. I haven't had a drink or a drug. He said, and you know, you never have to drink again. And I thought, wow, I never heard it like that. But I took it, and that's April 21st, 1988. And I met the sponsor that helped me change my life, who's still my sponsor today. And, you know, I work a tough program, and I help other people, and you know, life is great. I'm in, a, I'm in a program to help people not drink. But what does that entail? I work the 12 steps. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I uh, call a sponsor every day. I help other people. I you're involved. You're, you're not around AA. You're like a part of it, you know? Every day, every day. That's my life. Listen, I don't even lose an arm. I didn't lose a leg. I don't have chemotherapy. I have out this here problem drinking. And I have to treat it. And as long as I treat it, I have a great life. It's not easy. It's hard work. But it's manageable. And I don't have to do it alone. The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado, made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. What was it like when you went back to fight sober? I went back to fight sober for it for me. I was in great shape. I mean, I... I had never, you know, not drank before. I was 
in great shape, and I've been promoting some of his fights, and he said, why don't we fight? And I thought, man, I don't know, I'm going to finish fighting. And I thought, you know, I never did it clean. So I went back and trained, and I said, you know what, I'll do it. So I got in great shape, and, you know, unfortunately, I hadn't fought in a long time. I got caught with a shot. But I hit him with some good shots, too. And you, hit fact, him, you hit him with a great shot in the first round. Well, he told me, David Levin asked him, you know, who's the hardest puncher to ever hit? And he said this, every fighter has three great punches. Jerry Cooney, Ron Lyle, and somebody else. And Letterman said, you mean Cooney is the hardest puncher? He said, yeah. But, you know, unfortunately, I got caught too. And I got stopped in the second round. But it helped me to turn the page in my life. Say, okay, I had a great run at this. I had a great life. Let me turn the page. Let me get on with my life and start a family. I met my beautiful wife. I got three beautiful kids. And I'm living the dream. You know, it's cool what you said, and this this speaks to the the development of people in recovery, right? Like you have you are living the dream. You're sober thirty three years. And I was talking to somebody today, another alcoholic, somebody who has about like a year sober. And something was happening in their life, right? It was uh they were just having a situation and it was making their head explode, just like it would for me, even a little bit today. But I said to that person, I said, you know, this is this experience, you know, seven years from now or four years from now will, will affect you differently if you continue to work yeah. a program. And you said the Foreman fight, you said if you had had a little more time in your recovery. Yeah, a little more time without a drink. And I understood a little bit more. It was life was too fast and I was like, I was unsure. And it's just, I didn't have, you know, they say when you get five years, you get your brains back. Yeah. And then it takes five years to learn how to use them. Well, this was like, a, you know, like a year and a half in, in, in sobriety, and, and it was a lot passing through me. I was questioning a lot, and I wasn't, you know, it was a lot. And so, you know, but it's all good. I did it. I, I, I did it clean. I, I had a great time with him. We have, him and I are best friends. Larry Holmes and I are great friends. And I, I have a lot of great friends today. I used to have, I used to have uh, shallow friendships. I've got lifelong friendships now. What was that like when you re, like was that was that a sobriety thing almost like an immense thing when you you know you get together with Larry Holmes and kind of figure out that you guys are going to be friends? He's a he's a good man. Uh, we ran into him in Atlantic City one day and he talked about how tough the fight was and how difficult it is, and so you know uh, he that I had good ideas and how I was in that fight. And uh, he just had so much more experience than me. When we fought that night, I didn't have any experience. I had all knockouts. But what I learned from him that night, being in the ring with him, I wish I could have got a rematch with him. And it probably would have changed the course of my life. But it didn't happen. How come come he never got a rematch? I don't know why that never happened. You know? I don't know why that ever happened. In today's time, we would have fought three times. But, yeah, you, you know, yeah. it just didn't happen. But I learned so much that night in that ring with such a great champion. You know, I have a radio show on Sirius XM, Channel 156, every Monday, every Friday from 12 to 2 Eastern time. And we did a breakdown of all the greatest heavyweights of all time. Those before Sonny Liston, from Jack Johnson up to Sonny Liston, and then from Sonny Liston to today. And the guys who made it to the finals was Larry Holmes, Muhammad Ali, 
Lennox Lewis, and Mike Tyson. And Larry Holmes made it to the semis. He was like number two, the best of all time. So I'm not ashamed of anything I did. I I wish I was in, I wish I was could give it a hundred percent. Looking back, but unfortunately, I don't got that card. I got to move forward, and I no, no, life's not waiting for me no more. There's no more do-overs. There's no more practice runs. I'm living in the big leagues. I got to hold on. It's going so fast. Every time I turn around, it seems like it's Thursday again. <laughs> How did you learn to feel again after you got sober? Because we're so, you know, we're so raw when we get sober, and we got all these. Emo- of Alcoholics Anonymous, and and uh, you know, uh, and Al-Anon, and therapy, and reading, and and. Uh, the desire. I was a professional athlete. I have desire. I wanted the confusion to go away. I wanted to find out where I fit in. I wanted to find a purpose. I wanted to find where I belong. And I want to give that to my family. I don't want to give what I got to my family. I want to have the answers and work with my wife to make the answer, the right decisions. You know, just saying that, you know, uh, anyway, that's all. <laughs> what were you going to say? It's nothing. It's all good, man. Listen, I got the greatest family, the greatest kids. They all can fight. I taught, they, they, I've, they, I've made fighters out of my daughter and my two sons. They can fight. <laughs> they all punches. They all can punch like mules. I don't want them to fight, but they know how to fight. I can spend that time with my kids. I never spent any time with my father. I hid from my father. I hid in the basement because if I was out of sight, I wouldn't get hurt. My father built a ring in the backyard and he used to make me box him. And he would have my mother keep time. And I could never hit him back. I probably could have kicked his ass at 17 or 16 when I was doing it, but I could never hit him. And then I thought to myself, I wish I did. And then I found out someone that did and they regretted it so bad. So I'm glad I didn't. You carry that with you too. I do. Yeah. I do. Listen, when I was 17, I had left home. My father found that he had asbestosis from the, you know, asbestos on the construction job. So I used to drive home, take him to the hospital for chemo, and then bring him back. One day, I'm 17, I bring him home from the hospital. He calls me in. He said, listen, son, if you can't live in my house under my rules, get your hair cut, get home when I want you to get home, I'd rather crawl to the hospital on my hands and knees. That was the last experience I had with my father at 17 years old. So, listen, my kids don't have that. I didn't get involved in a relationship until I learned all about this so I didn't attract another woman that was going to be dysfunctional. I got into recovery. I grew up, and then I was attracted. I stayed alone. I found out what I was about, and then I was attracted to that. And then I met my wife, and we have something to work with, and we love each other. I can't wait to go to bed with my wife tonight. How, how I'm married 27 years. How are you able to, to like find that? You know, a lot of people come; they go in and out. They go in and out, in and out of AA. How are you able to find, you know, your place in AA? I want to get well. I always wanted to get well. I didn't know why I was feeling the way I was feeling. 
I didn't like it. I mean, I had a, I had a lot of great times. I I traveled. I I you know had everything you could ever imagine. But really, looking back on it, it was all shallow half hours. It wasn't real. It wasn't meaningful. It was what I thought I should be. That was not me. That was being somebody I was, you know, watching TV about. That I thought that's how I was supposed to be. You retired at 32. Was it easier for you to walk away because you were sober? You think a lot of guys just keep fighting and fighting. It was easy for me to step away because I got in shape. I fought for me. I got stopped in the second round by him. And I answered, I answered everything I wanted to have answered. I made a lot of money. I traveled the world. I turned the page in my life. And I, you know, I had minor league baseball teams. I had horses. I had fighters. I promoted fights. I did a lot of stuff. I did a lot of things. And I still am. I still love training people. I have a gym out here. I train people. I still like working with the peeps. When did you decide to use your, you know, sobriety or use your platform to help people? Uh, you know, you started to speak out about it. You, you speak to schools. Listen I, listen, I always help people. I've been involved in charities my whole life because nobody helped me. I was on my own. So if I can help somebody, you know, by going doing a charity and taking pictures and saying hello and playing golf or you have going to a dinner or to a luncheon and raise money for the people less fortunate than me, maybe they will get to a better place than I got to. It cost me nothing. A little bit of time, stories, rubbing elbows with other athletes who were great. Wow, in my story, it's not really been that difficult. So, you know, talking to you now, you really do, and it's part of the program, but you really don't have much of an ego, uh, especially for a guy who was, you know, ranked number one in the world as a heavyweight boxer. Was it hard for you? John Lucas, the guy who played in the NBA and had a drug problem, he says part of, you know, being an athlete, it's hard to get sober because your ego is what makes you so successful. Did you find you had that problem? Listen, I regret I could have been a lot better. I could have been a lot better than I was. Sometimes I, sometimes I regret that. I don't hold on to it. I touch it sometimes, I let it go. Sometimes, you know, you're out and sometimes it bothers you, but listen, this is my, this is my story. You know, this is my story. I was close. That's good enough. Made a lot of money. Made a lot of friendships. Helped a lot of people. Wow. Look at that. That's more important to me than anything else. What was it like when you got to know Muhammad Ali? I mean, he was kind of... He was a great man. He was a great man. He told him, he came to my training camp, he said, Jerry Cooney's not the white hope. He's the white hope. And he was a great guy. He called my mother, told her I'm going to be okay. You know, uh, Jerry Clark, I met everybody. For you today, what does untreated alcoholism look like? It's a very lonely, sad place to be. You know, you know, it's just running around in circles. You know, you're just going nowhere. And unfortunately, it's a sad story. And most of the time, they don't even die. They just exist. 
Did you find yourself when you, you know, you talked about just popped into my mind being alone, um, you know, your whole life. Were you surprised at the people, people in the program of how receptive they were when you showed up? I mean, you go there, it's like you go to a meeting, right? For me, the first time, it's like you never met a stranger. Listen, I'm kind of like a loner a little bit. I am great in the crowd. I love being crowds with people and parties and laughing and joking. I also like to be alone. And so to me, it's just, you know, another day. And today I'm going to be busy. I'm going to have a great time. And tomorrow I'm going to be able to be by myself. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to have a great time. You know what I mean? Like, you got to just take it as it comes and roll with it. You got to roll with it. When you you got to roll with the punches, but you got that ropes. You got to roll with it. All right, we'll get you out of here in a little bit. I got a couple more things for you. Like when you're when you're talking to your sponsor and you're going, you know, you're going through your your fifth step, your fourth and fifth step. What what was that like for you? you because people look at it as like, man, this guy's a heavyweight boxer. It's going to be hard for him to humble himself. How are you able to find that gear? Listen, I wanted to get well, and they told me this is the way to get well. I wasn't going to go in half ass. I wasn't going to go in partially. I had to write it out. I had to get everything out of me. As a matter of fact, it took, I had to go from where I lived to the city twice to do the fourth and fifth step. I had to get everything out. And I remembered, you know, um, you know, the pain involved in that. But I have to, in order for me to jump over the fence, that hurdle, I got to do the work. Tell everybody. So a lot of people can't do it. I feel scared for them. I talked to my sponsor about it. He said it's very sad, and I agree. Because, you know, I've got a lot of experience in this stuff, and I try and explain it, but some, most people don't have it. Do you know something? I've been around for 33 years. Do you know since I came around, I don't, not many people I know from back then that are still around. You know that? Yeah. That is frightening. That is just frightening. What happened to them? I tell people, you know, those people you don't see, give them a call, man. Maybe they want to come back. Frightening. I never want that to be me. I was, when I was like five months clean, I went to that guy, Jack, my friend. He took me to a, a detox for me. There was 80 disheveled people. You know what he told them? He said, most of you are not going to make it by this time next year. And I thought to myself, Wow, what would you say that for, right? Yeah. So I don't, after the meeting, I went up, I said, Jack, how's it going, bro? What'd you say that to them for? You know what he told me? Because it's the truth. Because it's the truth. And I thought that moment, that chair is mine. I'm never giving that chair up. That's how life and death this is. And it's not necessarily about life and death. It's about a quality of life that we're afforded the second time around. I tell people it's like the bonus round of life. Yeah, I get to be young at heart, Jim. Yeah, you still get to, and, and that's the one thing, you know, like people, did you have this before you stopped drinking? Did you think, oh man, I'm never going to have fun again? Well, I think everybody has that feeling. I, you know, I remember around three o'clock in the afternoon, I'd be driving around. And I'd get very uncomfortable for a while, very uncomfortable. I didn't know what the hell that was. And 
what I realized was that was around the time when I started to think, well, where am I going tonight? What am I going to do? What am I going to drink? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was the time I left that I had to work through and had to listen to other people talking about it. And then I identified it with it. And then it wasn't so powerful anymore. And there was a lot of experiences like that. Did you find yourself like, you know, toughening up? And that's the thing I tell people that, and I tell myself too, or I hope somebody else tells me, you keep going through those experiences, they get easier, right? All of a sudden, three o'clock comes and goes and you don't even notice it. You trust yourself better. Yeah. You know, you trust yourself better. I don't think about drinking. I think about my thinking. I got to pay attention to at this stage of the game because that will drive me, drive me back. And, then, and don't think that there's not people with 33 years that don't go out, 40 years. Of, there's people in the big book that are at that time and went out again. So it's not like we're cured of it. It's one day at a time, one daily reprieve. How, how were you with uh, over the pandemic? Did you go to Zoom or did you, did you, are, are you able to get to in-person meetings now? Now I'm going a little bit. I still go to Zoom because I can go to California. There's a great speakers meeting every day, seven days a week at 9.30 in the morning. I go 12.30 meeting in Manhattan. That's a great meeting, the uh, 5 a.m. club. And, uh, so, you know, but I still I've got a lot of meetings. It's coming back. It's coming back. I'm getting out a little bit more. I mean, it's been, it's, you know, it's crazy, crazy pandemic because part of me hated being home. But then the other part of me got comfortable to be here. Yeah, I mean, you're still doing your show from home. Oh, it's yeah. Sirius Channel well, you know, 156, I mean, Monday and Friday. Yeah. And, and Eastern time. Eastern time. Eastern time. Yeah, <laughs> Eastern time. I also want to tell you guys, I also got a great book out there about these life and times. It's called Gentleman Jerry, a contender in the ring, a champion in recovery, Wands and Noble, um, Amazon, Paperback is out now. You can also get a hardcover. And it's a story about the ups and downs of life that everybody has. What moved you to start the uh, the, the, the union for boxers? Like, that's pretty, that, that was a pretty, uh, a pretty well, huge move. Obviously, you know, let's stop that. It's not going. We, we, it was not a union. It was a, an organization to help fighters get back to life. But, okay. you know, it, it, this didn't work. It didn't work. And we hired some guy who stole money from us. And so we shut that down. And they were trying to do union for boxing. But, you know, the guys that needed this, they couldn't afford the union dues. And I thought, what a great story. If they take a dollar from every ticket and put it in a foundation, that would solve all the problems. But nobody wanted to do it. The government doesn't want to be participating in it. They want to be hands off of it. So the fighter continues to be an independent contractor. So there's no really hope for him unless he has a good management team who saves money, which, you know, when you're an athlete, especially a fighter, you think it's never going to end, so you keep spending it. You never had it before, but it does end. Did you almost fight Tyson? No. Never? I knew Mike Tyson when he was 13. I was, I think, 23. You know, he was at the camp. Castamano uh, got him. No, oh, that never, never happened. Okay. You know, I, listen, I would love to fight Mike Tyson. I would love to fight those guys. I wish I could have, you know, been real, full, you know, in shape. You know, like I feel today about you could bounce a brick off my head. I'm 
and connected. You know, I know what's going on. And, yeah, unfortunately, it's never the dream company this time around. You know what I mean? What do you what, what do you think about the fight? What do you think about the uh, the Mayweather and, and uh and 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 Paul situation? What do you think about that fight? You know, you know, Mayweather felt old, and Paul it was a lot bigger than him, a lot stronger than him, and he used that jab, his corner tone, to keep jabbing, and he couldn't get in. So I remember Mayweather's corner telling him in one of the six uh, six rounds or so, six rounds, listen, use that jab this round. He said, I can't, it's not working, because the guy was sticking his jab out. And, you know, Paul, Logan Paul got really Logan tired. Paul. Okay. Logan Paul got tired. And then he made a little, got a second win and was able to finish strong. So he showed his face. And listen, it's a, it, during the pandemic time, it got a lot of people out of their, you know, discomfort. And, and all these, like, uh, what do they call them? Those uh, Zoomers or whatever they yeah. are. Uh, what they YouTubers. They go, YouTubers. They all, you know, crossed over and seen boxing too. Plus, they put some nice boxing shows on. So maybe we're going to see that crossover. Yeah, it and seems like it seems like it's really I, building. I think it's here to stay. I think it's going to stay, and uh, you know, it's got to be special guys. Not going to go on every month. Maybe a few, a couple times a year or something. But um, aside from that, it's all good. Who's the best heavyweight right now? You know, I, I got to say Fury. Joshua, you know, if, if, if Wilder hits Fury, Fury's going to go out. You know, they're all, they're all bruised. They both, they all got knocked out. They all got stopped. They all got dropped, I mean. Fury never got, never really got knocked out, you know. And so, you know, listen, it's, a, it's an interesting division. Boxing is great itself. There's all great divisions. From lightweight to welterweight to junior welterweight, you got uh, you know light heavyweights, cruiserweights, and the heavyweight division is great. So we're going to see great boxing matches coming up. So I would say download boxing scene on your computer face and just look it over once in a while and see the great fights coming up. Boxing scene. Boxing scene. It's a great uh, you know uh, app to to hear all about boxing what's it been like for you to be on Sirius on, on, on Monday to Friday to have that platform to have that show I love it I, I went there 12 years ago to do an interview and the president said hey listen how'd you like to start Monday I said what the president let me think about it and then I said why not I'm having a great time because I love the game I know the fighters so I'm, I'm, I'm giving that information out to the fans. Do you ever think about like your, your life today as opposed to, you know, if you hadn't stopped? I mean, you're doing all this stuff today. Fight. Most likely I wouldn't be here. Most likely I would not be here today. I wouldn't be married to this wonderful woman and have these beautiful children. How many, okay. what do you say to people who are on the fence about, about getting sober? People who, you know, if, if a guy's coming in and out, in and out, and he says, Jerry, what do I have to do? Put it down for 90 days. Go to meeting every day for 90 days. See how you feel after that. See if you can last 90 days. If you can, maybe you don't have a problem. But most likely you can't. If you're an alcoholic, powerless over alcohol, and your life is unmanageable. If that's the case, 
goes by growing up, my friend. Are you involved now? Do you sponsor guys and stuff too? Of course I do. Yeah, I mean, it's nice because I read in my, you know, you're helping somebody else get comfort, get comfort, get understanding, get stronger. It also solidifies your own recovery. Yeah, it's like you. I get more out of out of that uh, than I do from from almost anything else. Just sitting one on one with the guy and getting real with him. I guess the reason uh, "Drop the Rock" is a great book. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's not going to go on the radio. It's going to catch the rock. "Drop the Rock" and also "The Untethered Soul." Two great books. Okay. And I'm I'm in process right now of doing a. Uh, a six and seven step right now for 90 days. We'll call my sponsor every day and talk about it. Talk, so talk about your character defects and God, you yeah. know, removing them. Yeah. You're the real deal, so, Jerry. I pre, I can't, I can't believe I got a chance to talk to you, man. Well, I'm having a great time. It's all good. It's been a good situation. Send me a copy of this somehow. On, yeah. I'll, I'll send you, I'll, I'll just text it to you. Is that okay? Sure. Or email. You got an email, email. You can, here? you can text me your email and I'll follow you on Instagram too. Okay, listen. You got a pen? Uh, yeah. Hang on one second. Come on, bro. Get this shit out, bro. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't uh, be slothful, bro. Don't be slothful. Hold on. I'm not being slothful. Hold on, hold on. All right, go ahead. Uh-huh. At gmail.com. Okay. All right. Um. Yeah, we and got. Where's this gonna run? You know. Yeah, it'll be so next Thursday, or I'm sorry, this Thursday. Um, it'll be on uh it's, it's, it's a podcast, right? It'll run on all the platforms like Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. So I'll email you a link to it Good. and you, you can listen to it. You can share it. Do you want me to take the stuff out about drop the rock or can I leave that in there? You can do whatever you want. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure, man. Anything else you want to share about sobriety? Well, I had a great time with you. That's all. It's been a great time. Just send me a copy of it. I liked it. I like the questions. I like the answers, and you know, it's cool. It was All an right. honor. Send me a All right, man. Thanks, Talk Jerry. You again sometime, okay? You got it. See you, Paul. Bye, bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, and of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Podcast.